excited to be able to be with you all. I want to ask you to turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 5, we're going to begin reading in verse 27. Luke chapter 5 and verse 27. If you're joining us by live stream, I want to welcome you this morning and thankful that you are here as well. But what we're doing, as you all know, is we are in a five-part series. Uh, series number one, the first part of the series started last week. The Lord laid this series on the heart of our youth pastor, Brett, and uh, really excited about this. It's called Come to the Table. Come to the Table. And we're looking at different places in the Word of God where Jesus was at a table and the principles that we can learn from that. Now, last week, Brett kind of did a, uh, you know, an introduction to that, but preached on the invitation, how everyone is invited. Say everyone. Aren't you thankful for that? Everyone is invited. He talked about that table is for the broken. The table is a place to belong, and the uh, table is a place that offers blessings. Powerful, powerful message. And excited to come in and do the second part of this. And then Roger's going to be uh, next week uh, sharing. And, and so really excited even all the more to hear him. But I want you to know there's really three challenges from this series that, that the Lord wants to, to bring. This a little ta- tangible for us. <clears throat> points of action that we can do. And you just pray about it and see how the Holy Spirit would lead you. But number one, for you to invite a church member to your table to your home, a church member. Now, if it's the person that you eat with three times a month, invite somebody else. Keep eating with that person three times a month, okay? But somebody maybe that you don't even know because in a church this size, a lot of times we don't know one another and it would be great to invite a church member to your table. Today's message, though, is about inviting a neighbor to your table. You need to ask the question, who is your neighbor? That's asking scripture. It may not be the person next door to you, although it may be, okay? Uh, It might be somebody in need. But would you pray and see if the Holy Spirit would prompt your heart to invite a neighbor to your table? Uh, And then the third one is to invite someone to our table here on November 21st. Say November 21st. And that is our church-wide Thanksgiving meal. And Brett has already mentioned to Sandy and the great kitchen team, we might have twice as many people knowing our people. And they said, bring it on, okay? So we're excited about that. And we really pray that we will do everything we can, especially those around us who are unchurched, to bring them on November 21st. Say November 21st. It's going to be a great church-wide meal, a Thanksgiving meal, and invite them to that table. Now, we're not saying accomplish all three of these tasks before now, between now and November 21. You pray about it and see what the Lord would have you do. But to invite a church member, to invite a neighbor, and then invite people here to this table uh, would be vitally important because we always want to build a bridge to Jesus in every way we can. So today, we're talking about inviting a neighbor to our table, to our table in our home. Um, I would encourage you to invite someone who is unchurched. As far as you know, they do not have a relationship with Christ, someone who is lost. Invite them to come. Uh, You know, a lot of times we don't know our neighbors anymore. There was a time, even when I was a kid and raised on a farm, and our neighbors weren't even hardly within a half a mile of us, we knew everybody on Highway H, now it's Highway A between 185 and Richwood. You know, you just knew who was where. That's not the case anymore. There was a day right after World War II that all these houses were being built with these huge front porches, and people did that right there on the little street that they lived on because they couldn't wait for their neighbors to walk by. It was all about meeting and greeting people. Now everybody's building houses with big back decks, and uh, we have garage door openers. And people don't even need to know or see their neighbor. Our neighbors know us uh, because we got a letter from a homeowners association, okay? (laughs) They know us. Twice now, my boys have uh, cleaned a deer in the front yard. Twice, twice. I say, we got a backyard. You know, I know that's still hillbilly. But they say the best tree, we can get it done 20 minutes. They go to the backyard. But anyhow, our neighbors know us. Uh, but do we really know our neighbors? We know the first names of a lot of our neighbors. Do we, do we know our neighbors? And I want to encourage you, but also share kind of some warnings 
uh, should you invite an unchurched person to your home that you don't know? And we need to be about that, okay? But just some things to be aware of so it doesn't catch us off guard, even though many of you can uh, teach me about that. But here's this great passage of Scripture, Luke chapter 5, verse 27. Uh, It's coming up on the screen. Listen to what the first verse says. It says, after these things, we'll stop right there, okay? Say, after these things. What things, okay? So Jesus, or the scripture saying after these things. So we need to kind of set the tone. After what things are we getting ready to study about? Well, what's happened just before this is the paralytic man, the paralyzed man, was carried on his bed by four friends, great story, we know it, to a house. It was so crowded, they couldn't even get in. So they went up on the rooftop, you know the story, removed the tiles, lowered him at the feet of Jesus, and Jesus heals him. There's one place where it's recorded in Matthew where it says, because of your faith, the faith of you four, I'm gonna heal this guy. Now, he wasn't talking about the spiritual side of that healing at that moment. This man did have that spiritual healing, but I want you to know the physical healing. Jesus literally said, you guys have so much faith, I'm going to take care of your friend. And isn't that, isn't that incredible? I mean, it's a great story all the way through. But I want you to know that, uh, that that's what has just happened. And the Bible says after this man was healed, everybody marveled. Everybody was amazed. And then it steps into verse 27 where it says, after these things. Say, after these things. So those are the these things. All right. Are you tracking with me? Right. All right. I, that was terrible grammar. So after these things, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. Let's stop there for a moment. So Jesus comes out after these things. He sees a tax collector. His name was Levi. Now we know this is Matthew. This is the same guy as Matthew, the tax collector, who ends up following Jesus and becomes one of his disciples. And this is recorded, this story, in three different Gospels. Not only here in Luke, it's also recorded over in Mark chapter 2. It's recorded over in Matthew chapter 9. And in all three cases, we see that it happens after these things, right after the paralytic man was healed. So we know it's the same guy that Jesus is meeting. And in Matthew, Matthew refers to himself as Matthew, okay? So why is that? I mean, why would it be? Maybe his name was Matthew Levi. Maybe his name was Levi Matthew. I am Robert Allen. They call me Bob. Okay, so who knows, all right? But I can tell you, maybe Jesus just changed his name. You remember Simon? He said, from this point on, you're going to be Peter, which means a little rock, right? So who knows? But I think it's kind of cool to me that in the account, according to, and of course, God is the author. We've only got one author of the Bible. It's all God's word, but there's different human instruments. In the account of Luke, Luke refers to him as Levi. That was his name. In the account of Mark, Mark refers to him as Levi. But in the account of Matthew, I think Matthew was saying, I'm going to call me the name that Jesus gave me. And in Matthew, he's referred to as Matthew. So same guy, it's Matthew the disciple. And Jesus comes to him and says something incredible to him. But first of all, let me tell you about tax collectors. You know this, but tax collectors back in those days, they were the most divisive people in the culture. I'm telling you, they were hated. They were bottom rung with the Judeans. They were placed lower than prostitution or anything else. Here's the reason why. There was this wicked government, Romans, that were trying to lie and steal a culture. There was this wicked government, the Romans, who was trying to cram down the Judean's throat and take their culture and radically change their culture and and just absolutely rip them off. It was the most divisive group. And here are who the tax collectors were. They were Judeans. They were Jewish people working for the Romans and extorting money from their own countrymen. They were hated. This culture was divided. They could not have been more on opposite, 
ideologies and everything else, total polar opposites, and they hated the tax collectors. And Jesus, after these sayings, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi, we know it's Matthew, sitting at the tax office. He even went into the tax office. And here's what Jesus said to him, follow me. So this divisive thief did something. It's the only thing that could have changed him. Another man's point of view couldn't have changed him. Somebody debating him and arguing him and try, couldn't. One thing could change him it was Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, follow me and listen to the response. This is a three-part sermon right, right here. I won't preach it, okay? Verse 28. So he, Matthew, left all. Say all. all. Say all. all. You know what all means? All. He left everything. Listen, this would be what we would call the point of salvation. This would be the time, the moment in our life if we surrendered to Christ where we said, God, I need to be rescued. I'm helpless, hopeless, lost, on my way to hell. Can't change that. You can. I am yours. That's the moment that this guy had that moment of embracing Christ. He left all. Say all. He rose up. There was action to it. Didn't just give a lip service, but he actually had action to it and followed Jesus. That's surrender. That's obedience. This guy, because of Christ, who was hated and was a filthy crook, was changed forever. And he becomes a follower of Jesus Christ. So, let's go to the next verse, verse 29. Then, say then. Amen. That word's huge. And I want to tell you why. Because I went to Sullivan Public Schools, and one-syllable words are big, no, I'm kidding. They were, it's a great school, it's a great school. My teachers were phenomenal. It was me, okay? It wasn't them, I promise you, okay? I haven't changed much. So, then, you know, here's why that word then is so important, though. Whenever you follow Jesus, then you do this stuff. Whenever you surrender to him and you're obedient to him, then you do this stuff. Whenever you forsake all, then, say then, you do this stuff. Here's what he did. Levi gave Jesus a great feast in his own house. But it didn't stop there. Levi, Matthew, wanted all of his friends to meet Jesus. So what did he do? Remember who tax collectors were? And there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. Not just one tax collector now, a great number of tax collectors. And Jesus was invited to this table and he accepted the invitation. And he sat down with them and he broke bread with them. The most divisive people in the culture, the ones that were trying to rip everybody off and still a culture. Those guys, he broke bread with, he and his disciples. And here's what happens in the next verse. Verse 30, and their scribes and Pharisees, now remember who the scribes and Pharisees were. They were religious people of the day, but they're not religious people like the people in this room. And here's what I mean by that. These people would, they were fake. They were hypocrites. They had no love for God. They only loved themselves. There would be times that they would stagger down the street like they'd been fasting for a long time to draw attention. They'd pray these long, lofty, loud prayers out on the street corner. It was all about themselves, never about God. They did not have a relationship with God. These guys were true hypocrites. The people in this room, I believe we've surrendered to Christ, and we understand it's not about our religion, but it's about a relationship, and that's why we know that we're going to heaven whenever we die, and only because of Jesus, not because of us. So these guys were the fake ones, and here... 
is what happens, okay? They complained against Jesus' disciples and said, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners, anybody else but them? You could have gone and, and hung out with prostitutes and it would have been better. What are you doing? Why would you hang out and eat and lean back at the table with these guys? And Jesus answers the question in verses 31 and 32. Jesus answered and said to them, you know what I just realized? Whatever they're watching online, they're seeing this screen, aren't they? Just to let you guys know that are watching online, I'm looking at the screen over here. I, I'm, okay, but I'll look over here, okay, even though. <laughs> so Jesus answered and said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician. Say physician. physician. Who's the great physician? This is not a physical thing he's talking about here. This is a spiritual healing. This is a spiritual healing. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, look at verse 32. And he goes on to say, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, I understand who he's saying that to. He's saying it to the scribes and Pharisees. He wasn't saying, you guys are righteous, you don't need me. All he's doing is answering their question. And their question was, why them? And his answer was, because that's who I've come for. I have not come here for people who are righteous. I have not come here for people who are well. I've come here for people who are sinners. To draw them to repentance, I've come here for people who are sick. Now let's unpack that. We already know. But here's what he's saying. He is not saying that anybody's righteous. Unless they've surrendered to Jesus. So what he was saying was this. I'm not here for the people who haven't surrendered to me yet. I'm here for those people who still need to understand that I am their way to heaven. You know what righteousness is? It's a filthy-hearted man like me. 35 years ago, getting down on my knees before a holy God and saying, I am helpless. I am stuck. I am hopeless. I have this sin issue in my life that I'll never kick. I'm not justifying sin. I'm not excusing it away. But as long as I'm in this decorated dust human body, I'm going to always have a sin issue. And if I have any sin, it separates me from you because you're so holy and so pure and so clean, God. So I need to be rescued. I have to go to hell. That's all of us. We have to go to hell. We don't have a choice. We need to be rescued. And I simply said, I believe, Jesus, you're the rescuer. You came to this earth. You, you were born of a virgin because you're God, you can do anything. You walked on this earth 33 years, 100% God, you're 100% man because you're God, you can do anything. You died on a cross, your blood was shed to cover my sin. And because you're God, you can do anything. You rose from the dead three, on the third day later. And I'm gonna ask you to forgive me of everything. You're the only one big enough to clean me up. And the Bible says this really cool word. It says that God will impute to us righteousness. It doesn't say he'll impart it. If I was going to impart something to somebody, I would give it to him. It'd be theirs. We'd, we'd never become righteous, but he imputes it. That means he gives credit where credit didn't do. That means that he says, from this moment on, because the only thing big enough to forgive your wickedness is the blood of my son Jesus, I'm gonna look at you through his blood because you've surrendered to him and I'm going to look at you as if you're perfect, even though you're not. And that's whenever Jesus says, those people that have already surrendered, they're wicked. They ought to go to hell. They're still sinners, but they've surrendered. And they trusted the only one true God, Jesus himself. And they're the righteous. And I'm not there to hang out with them. I'm not here. I'm here 
to go to the lost, to the sick, to those who have not had their sins forgiven yet. And that was the answer that he gave to these Pharisees. Now, I want us to think about some things. You see, Jesus was willing to hang out with the most divisive people in that culture. There were government people that were stealing a culture away, cramming things down their throat. I mean, these guys were thieves, and Jesus was willing to hang out with them. We need to understand something. Kindness is not agreement. Kindness is not agreement. Jesus was, the only time I ever see Jesus showing righteous anger was to religious people. Again, they weren't believers, but it was in the temple, and we know the story. He kicked the tables over. Isn't it interesting that no matter what the sin was, he was always kind. And kindness is not agreement. But if we really do take this challenge of saying, God, who would my neighbor be? Who do you want me to invite into my home? Or into the home that you provided? To the table that you provided? Then we just need to be wise. Because here's the reason why. If we invite lost people to our table, hope we do, their views are going to be a lot different sometimes than ours. And I'm telling you, they may end up bringing it up. And it's going to sound to some people like fingernails on a blackboard. And I am begging you, don't go there. Keep Jesus in the center. I have people that don't know. I'll just say this. Joy and I have some incredible friends in our life right now that we know God has placed there. Matter of fact, we met them after January 7th whenever our daughter was diagnosed with acute leukemia. And they become some of the closest friends of our life. The majority of them have not surrendered yet to Christ. I don't know their ideology, but I'll promise you probably a lot of them, probably the majority of them are on polar opposite views than my view on the way I vote, the way I think, and I'm going to fight real hard to make sure that subject never comes up. Why would I divide a room before I even get to Jesus? Why would I separate people before I even get to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because the only thing that will change the heart of men and women is a relationship with Christ. That's the only thing. See, I want you to hear this, and I think you trust my heart, and you already know this. Every time there's a time to vote for something, I'm going to go to the polls. Every time. And every time, I'm going to pray and do my best to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit and vote this Bible. Every time. But if I could sway everybody into voting the way I vote, they're still going to hell. Because the only thing that'll save them is Jesus. And why would I divide it? Is there a time to talk about it? I've had fascinating conversations with other believers about it. There's a time to even vent. There's a place to talk about it. If you're ever running for office, you need to clearly pro- proclaim your platform. Go for it. But I'm saying if I'm inviting someone who's unchurched to my home for dinner, that's not going to be my subject. And even whenever they say, and not even in a snotty way, they may not know my view, and they bring up something that's... My response is, isn't it crazy today? Hey, tell me about your kids. I know, it's, I can't even put my mind around that. How long have you two been married? Hey, where were you born? I'm telling you, why would we divide a room before we even get to the gospel? Because the only, the only thing that can change the life of people, if everybody suddenly, you know, believed the way I believed, it would not change the morality of this country one bit. Let me, let me explain what I mean. Again, did you hear me say every time there's a time to vote, I'm going to go vote? And I'm going to vote this Bible? But let me just tell you, one time, and I, I've, I've probably shared this story with you before, there was a young lady, 
I'll just share a little bit of it this time. Uh, over in Oklahoma, I was preaching a student rally there, and, and, uh, and while I was preaching, she was in the back with a few of her friends around her, consoling her, and she was crying the entire time. One of her friends came and got me and said, will you come and talk? And so all of us went into this room. She was 14 years old. She was a freshman in high school. Her name was Christina. And I said, Christina, what's breaking your heart? She said, I just don't know if I'm going to heaven or hell. I said, well, you know, sometimes that's because we have never surrendered to Christ. And other times, maybe it's because a certain sin has come into our life that we just wonder if God could ever love us again. And then she really started to weep. And I said, Christina, what's going on? And she said, I'm pregnant. Tomorrow morning at 8.30, I'm going to get an abortion. All kinds of things crossed my mind. All kinds of things started to come out of my mouth. It's murder. You can't do this. Reconsider. But God, I just the, the tug in my heart was this. Go back to her original statement. And I said, Christina, you started by saying you're not sure you're going to heaven when you die. Could we talk about that? She said, sure. Had the privilege to share the gospel with her. And at the end of that time, she said, man, I need Jesus. And that precious little 14-year-old girl surrendered her life to Christ. And as soon as she finished praying, in Jesus' name, amen. You know what the first words were out of her mouth as a brand new baby Christian? She looked up and looked me in the eye and said, I can't have this abortion tomorrow. Now let me tell you what happened. The Holy Spirit of the living God came to live within her precious young heart the moment she surrendered to Christ. And he's the convictor. He's the changer. He's the judge and jury. And I'm telling you, we need to keep Jesus in the center. It's all about him. Are there places to discuss it? Yes. But if we are going to reach our unchurched neighbors, they are going to think lost and act lost and talk lost and dress lost. And by the way, if we think we deserve heaven just a smidge more than anybody else, how dare we? I ought to split hell wide open. I'm telling you, we're all sinners and we're all stuck and we're all helpless and we're all hopeless. But man, Jesus hung out with the worst and was criticized for it. Kindness does not mean agreement. But the only thing that changed that young lady's heart was not my point of view, was not my ability to debate. It was her surrendering to Jesus. See, I used to smoke marijuana. And I don't smoke marijuana anymore. I haven't smoked marijuana for over 35 years. And I want to tell you why. Because one morning I woke up and somebody said, you know it's against the law to smoke marijuana? I said, I didn't know that. And I stopped. No, that wasn't it. <laughs> the reason why I stopped smoking marijuana is because I had a heart transplant. Jesus changed my life. Jesus changed my life. If they legalize it tomorrow, I'm not going to start smoking marijuana. Roger's going to do that by himself. <laughs> it's from a pipe. It's a little different if it's from a pipe. <laughs> Listen, the only thing that changes the heart of man, we cannot legislate morals into a culture. Go vote. I'm going to vote every time. But see, I have, this, I have this compulsion from time to time. When somebody brings something up that seems wrong, that I feel like I need to combat it or I'm compromising. I, I'll, I'll give you an example. My doctor, he retired uh, about a year ago and broke my heart because, man, we just really have become close friends. But 
I'd go to him a couple times a year for a physical and a few other times, you know, for stuff. And, and uh, early on, he was, he was a rough old boy. And, and uh, anyhow, a few years into it, he, he would keep prescribing me all these really weird drugs because I was traveling the other side of the world. And he'd go, why do you need this? And why do you need that? I said, well, we're going to West Africa. Or we're going to India. He said, what are you doing over there? And we'd say, you know, drilling wells. And, uh, you know, or we're building a school. Or, uh, you know, we're faith-based. And we always tell stories about Jesus. And one day he said to me, about six years into our relationship, I, I'm in seeing him, and he said, hey, I've got some spiritual questions. You think you and I go out and have a beer sometime and talk about it? <laughs> now, I, my first inclination was to say, well, now, I won't have a beer with you, but I will go and talk. And, and the Holy Spirit, just the gut feeling in my heart was, man, just don't have the beer when you get there. But here's a religious guy that probably has a view of judgment and right and wrong and balancing scales, and, you know, don't lead off with that. Just say, Absolutely. Yeah, let's do that. I didn't have a beer when we got there. But I'm telling you, God is, is going to allow us to share, but Jesus has to stay in the middle of everything we share because he is the only one that can change the world. A culture, the world, this nation, it's him, and it's him alone. And we don't have to defend and kindness is never agreement. It's not agreement. So if you invite someone into your home, just be ready. And be kind and be loving because they might say things that'll, that'll catch us off guard. And you guys know that. You can teach me this. But I'm telling you, we need to always be loving, kind, and keep Jesus in the middle. I will fight to stay out of those conversations with the new sweet friends that have come into our life because God has brought them into life. For the, for the sake of us sharing the gospel with them, and I want to tell you something, if they don't come to Christ, it's going to crush my heart. But even with that said, they need to know the reason why I want to be their friend isn't just so maybe one day they'll come to Christ, but it's because they're a real live human being that matters. And by the way, do you know they're a creation of God? Every one of them, in His image. They're precious to Him. And it's our role to be able to share that in love. In a previous church I had the privilege to be on staff at, uh, there was a, a young lady that we'd met. We were doing a lot of uh, ministry in some precious mobile homes around that area. This one mobile home park had 253 mobile homes. Had over 1,000 people lived in that one mobile home. That was more, a greater population than 527 towns in Missouri. Greater population than 527 towns in Missouri. And those 527 towns had, you know, a little square and, you know, two banks and eight churches and two bars. And you know the drill, right? This community of 1,000 had nothing. And so after doing some ministry there, we rented a mobile home. And uh, Brett's been there multiple times. And, and it was always fun to walk in to that mobile home because, you know, you'd say, hey, I want to show you our, our uh, campus. And uh, we'd walk into the living room and say, here's our worship center. We take about 10 feet to the kitchen. Here's our fellowship hall. We have two education wings. There were two bedrooms on each end. We just had folding chairs in them. Nobody ever lived there. But we'd have a children's night one night and a youth night one night and some adult Bible study. And, and only by the grace of God baptized 19 people the first year out of that, and, uh, out of that uh, community. And it was just a, a really sweet time. One of the people baptized was a young lady, senior in high school, come, uh, raised really hard on the honor roll. Her 12-year-old younger sister was the closest, she was the closest thing to a mom that her 12-year-old younger sister had. And, uh, and when, whenever she came to Christ, I'm telling you, she became one of the key leaders in the youth group. 
I mean, one of the key leaders. Um, and she got involved in sin. And she had sex out of wedlock. She got pregnant. And I will never forget her coming to those students and saying to them, I need to tell you something. There was probably 35 students crammed in this little mobile home. I've sinned. You've looked to me for leadership. And I'm pregnant as a result of my sin. And I want you to know that I've asked God to forgive me, and he has. But I need to ask you all to forgive me. Uh, Because I want to make it right. Isn't that incredible? She had the baby. She married the dad. They felt like they were called together. But they came to join me and said, can we, can we uh, have our baby shower at your home? We said, absolutely. And so I ran into her, her uh, soon-to-be husband, and he worked at Walmart uh, there in, in the community. And i never forget him saying to me, hey, by the way, uh, we, we wanted to ask you, will your household 100 people? <laughs> yeah. And so I went home to Joy, and I said, you know, it's so sweet. They think they're going to have 100 people. They had 94, okay? 94 people. And I'll never forget, they said, there's going to be four people in that room that are believers. Will you share your testimony? And I said, why don't you guys share yours? And they said, well, they know us. And I'm telling you, would you share your testimony? It was an incredible, just a glorious night. But I'm telling you, it broke the all-time record for how many people were smoking in our front yard. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) But if we invite people over to our home to the table that God has provided, there might be some things that sometimes, but we are not there to convict of sin. That's the Holy Spirit's job, and He's incredible at it. We are there to share the love of Christ. Now, when you invite people over to your home, you may not share Him. He may not give you permission to share Him first time, second time, third time, fourth time. As one preacher well said, sometimes we have to build a bridge that's heavy enough to sustain the weight of the gospel. Sometimes it takes a while to develop that relationship. So let yourself off the hook and follow the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you, by the way, I mentioned Christina a while ago, the 14-year-old had an abortion. If you've ever walked through that agony, God is head over heels in love with you. His forgiveness is there. And you're precious to Him. Um, and, and just like He forgives the wickedness in my heart and has forgiven me. So I want you to know God has this call on our life. Isn't it great to have purpose? Don't you love it? I, I never have to get out of bed and wonder, what my, why am I here? I used to ask that question. I'd drive past cemeteries and go, how long and why? Man, we don't have to wonder as a follower of Jesus why we're here. But I wonder if each one of us will go to our knees and simply ask God, God, who's my neighbor? Who is it? May not be on your street. And do you want me to invite them to the table? Here's the beautiful thing about following God. It's not like the people who invite people over are heroes and the rest of you just, you know, cyst out. That's not it. As you pray, the Holy Spirit may lay on some of your hearts to do it and may lay on some of your hearts not to do it. And all we have to do is be obedient. And it's just as obedient to not do it as it is to do it. If he says not to do it, it was a run-on sentence, okay? But we need to follow him. So I wonder if today we would pray... And then be ready to keep Jesus in the middle. Please don't hear me say we should never talk about the divide in our country. But there's places to do that. I've had great conversations. But I am saying, 
as God brings people into our life, don't divide the room before you get to the gospel. Keep it about Jesus. November 21st. Say November 21st. It's a big day here. I wonder if we'll begin. See, you may not get your neighbor in, over to your home before. Now, it, it may be February before that. You pray and ask God when. And stick to that plan. Be obedient. But the one date we can do something with, with a neighbor, is right here on November 21st. Isn't it incredible who Jesus came after? Amen? Aren't you glad? Because it was us. And man, there's so many people around us that he's head over heels in love with. And he wants to use us. It'll always be him, amen? But he wants to use us. First step, pray. Holy Spirit, who's my neighbor? Invite him. First time in might just be great fried chicken or whatever you're good at, okay? Build a friendship, a relationship. But see when the Holy Spirit prompts your heart to share him. Let's pray together. Father, again, we just say thank you. And Lord, what an incredible example that you leave us time after time after time of being this maverick. You were not some pacifist sissy. You were the craziest, just maverick that's ever walked on this planet. And so, Lord, we say thank you for modeling and thank you for calling us. You didn't call us because you were in desperate need of us. Truth is, you called us because we're in desperate need of this call. And you even love us enough to give us a calling. How incredible are you? The Father, help us to be obedient to you. And Lord, we'll be careful to give you all the credit. We ask it all in the strong name of our King Jesus. Amen. So here's the invitation. Will you begin to pray right now? We've already mentioned it a couple times. Who's my neighbor? When do you want me to invite him? What do you want me to do? Do you want me to do that? Pray those things and, and just listen for that still small voice, that gut feeling, the impression he leaves in your heart. I never heard God speak to me in an audible voice. I don't have an issue whenever people say that happens. He's God, he can do anything. For me, it just hasn't happened that way. But it's, a, it's an impression in my heart. It's that gut feeling. And we all know that. We've sensed that. That's the creator of the heavens and the earth. Isn't that crazy? Speaking to me and you. That's how much he loves us. And so listen to that tug. But in a group this size, I can't help but believe possibly there's some here that would say, you know, I'm not 100% sure that I've ever really surrendered to Jesus. I'm not sure that I've really been forgiven of my sin. He'll forgive you. There's no sin too big. And you may say, I don't know that I've ever embraced that. I'm going to ask you in a moment whenever we stand to sing to do something that's going to take some guts. I'm going to ask you to make your way down one of these aisles, down the steps, and just come and sit on one of these empty spots on these front rows. You don't, you don't even have to stand up. Just sit on one of those pews, and someone will come to you and sit down from God's Word and just see where you are. We won't push anything off on you. It just doesn't work that way. If I could talk somebody into something today, somebody else can talk them out of it tomorrow. But if the Holy Spirit's drawing your heart, come, come. I want to encourage you to do that. You might be here and say, I already know because of God's goodness, I have that relationship. Maybe God's calling you to an old-fashioned altar. Man, there's something special still about an old-fashioned altar. Amen? This church knows that. He may want you to come and pray. You might be able to deal with it authentically right there in the pew where you are, the chair where you are. 
If that's the case, you just be obedient to the Lord. But if you need to come and take a seat on the front pew, you need to come to the altar. Regardless, will we be obedient to Him?